Hey, this is Dave Pryor. Welcome to Trunk and PM Radio. This is take two of the podcast because we already started it and I forgot to press record. So I have a chance to redeem myself. You're probably watching this on projectmanager.com. I'd like to thank them once again for being a sponsor. And I would like to welcome Mika Trottier. Oh, very good. The first take was it's awful. The second take was... yeah. <laughs> Small increments Inspect of... Inspect and adapt, right? <laughs> How do you actually say it? Uh, Mika Trottier. Okay. I, no you were very close. Wow. In, in, the, in the American way. So you're from... <laughs> you're not from America. You're from upstairs. Uh, upstairs, yes. Um, I am based out of Ottawa in Canada. Okay. And before we get into talking to the issue you've been working on, can you briefly explain to folks that are watching what you do up there? Absolutely. Up there. Up there in America's well, hat. I said that to somebody and like, no, you're in Canada's pants. So, oh. No, it's kind of spicy. All right. um, this is something that I've done in other areas that aren't just in Canada because uh, okay. I've had clients based really everywhere. Um, okay. But I would say that my career has really been centered around uh, managing projects uh, but also managing products and managing people. Okay. Uh, so for um, for the first um, few years of my career, I worked for agencies and worked for startups. Um, I have done a lot of account management. Um, I really focused my career on project management for a long time. And... Um, eventually sort of transition to a little bit uh, more of an agile mindset and an agile philosophy um, that was coincidentally around the time that you and I met. <laughs> At the DPM Summit in Philly, I think, right? Correct. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, so I, uh, you know, did some scrum certification and sort of shifted to be a little bit more of a product owner and yeah. now I work for a product company called Shopify um, we're an e-commerce company uh, and I'm actually developing a program so I'm a little bit of a program manager as well so uh, now that I work in a product environment I also have you know more occasions to do product focused work okay and thank you for, for explaining that to folks. Now, the reason that we're talking is because you're working through something that I have been working through for a very long time. Um, and I think a lot of people who come out of a project management background kind of go through this with this struggle, which is how to stop looking at it as if there's just work and you have to use people to get the work done and how to actually work with the people instead. Is that a fair way to say? Sure. You mean calling your teammates humans instead of resources that's part of it but yes that's a big part of it i always explain like i look at i used to look at them like chess pieces and now i can't do that anymore <laughs> chess pieces with feelings well yeah if you're going to admit that they have feelings yes <laughs> no but that's but that is a struggle that i mean a lot of people in a project management role if if they're about the, the schedule and the work they have to deliver stuff and they have things at their disposal mm -hmm. that. that's what we're taught Mm -hmm. What's it been like for you to go from thinking of work that way to trying to be somebody who can lead self-organizing teams and things like that? Well, I think there are, you know, sort of many stages of this. Um, the 
the first sort of thing that I went through is is recognizing um, what I do quite naturally, perhaps because of my background and my training, but also just naturally there are things that you gravitate towards. Um, so really understanding your personal strength and your weaknesses. For me, I know that my weakness, one of my weaknesses is um, being always focused on the work and less cognizant of how people feel about the work. So um, there's a lot of implications that that comes with. <laughs> um, well, is do people take that or do you perceive that as you not caring or it's just that it doesn't enter into your field of view? Probably both. Okay. Um, I think that it's, I think that finding a personal connection goes a really long way. So okay. one of the things that I really have to actively work on is really um, being conscious of asking people about things that perhaps live a little bit outside of the product project work. And <laughs> not I'll tell the story in a second, but yeah. <laughs> so not necessarily doing small talk, but, you know, really finding that personal connection, whether it's the fact that you have a similar interest or you might have the same sense of humor, um, you, you know, the things that you value or going a little bit deeper than the project work, I think goes a long way. Um, but that really takes time and effort. And I think for for some people, it comes naturally. For some people, it's very intuitive to form that that human connection and, you know, to sort of dig deeper and ask personal questions. And for me, it just doesn't come as naturally. So it's something that I have to be really conscious of. Um, and I think a big, another big sort of realization that I came to um, in my journey, <laughs> um, in my focus, you know, in, in focusing more on people is they're seeing, um, you know, the team dynamics almost as a means to an end. So keeping people happy is not, uh, is something that is actually beneficial to project work. Okay. It's not, they're not dichotomous ideas, right? It's not you focus on the work or you focus on the people. I think part of this sort of agile philosophy that I've extracted is if you focus on the people, that actually produces better quality work. Yeah, they enjoy working together and they don't quit as often. Um, <laughs> well, well, I want to I go back to something you said a few minutes ago. And I'm going sh to share something that I often have to do to see if you have any kind of tips for folks. So... I am somebody who doesn't, like, I wouldn't just naturally just ask somebody about their personal life or what's going on outside of work. And it's not that I don't care. It's just that I have things I have to do and I recognize think they have things they have to do and I don't want to burden them. I don't want to take up either of our time with that kind of stuff. It doesn't seem like necessary to delivering a lot of the time. But I recognize that 90% of the people I come in contact with aren't as much of an asshole as I am, and they remember things like that. Um, and so what I've actually done, like I'll start to make notes. If I know I'm going to work with somebody over and over again, I will start to write stuff down about their family. And and I kind of coach myself before they see them, like, oh, remember, ask about their spouse because they were in the hospital. Remember to ask them about their kid who was doing this thing. Um, and I don't know if it has an impact, 
and I don't know if part of it is just me like feeling like I've checked a box, but it's the closest thing that I can get to an authentic, natural way. I mean, if, if it's friends of mine, I'm naturally going to ask them, but if it's a coworker, I might not have that deep of a connection with them yet. So I have to kind of push myself into it. Do you have anything like that that you have to force yourself to do or trick yourself into doing? <laughs> that you're um, willing to admit? Yes, absolutely. Um, I think one of the the tricks, and it was actually a colleague of mine who who said this explicitly, and I've had a couple discussions recently about this. Um, One of the best ways to, um, you know, sort of facilitate the process of people opening up and maybe sharing things that are a little bit more personal is doing that yourself. So the the um, it's almost like vulnerability is contagious. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, admitting fault or, you know, if you're struggling with something, being explicit with it. And, you know, everyone has this sort of, you know, perfectly glossy exterior. And if you don't go a level deeper, then um, I think I think that sort of deeper layer is where the good stuff comes, right? And that's where you actually get to... <laughs> <laughs> that that's where you get to the real human connection and that's where you can start relating to someone and and in an authentic way as well right in a yeah. way that is memorable in a way that maybe you don't have to take notes on because you have found sort of a true bond so i think the first step to me is always to remember that it's okay to be, you know, sort of weak and and flawed and vulnerable. And, you know, maybe you share something about your personal life that is, like, not great. You know, maybe well, you're – go ahead. You're extending yourself to them. And I always – I've always felt like if I can find a way to make myself appear more human and flawed to other people, that makes it easier for them to connect with me. Mm-hmm. Um, so they'll be more willing to open, I guess, maybe. But I, at least I would like them to feel like they know me and that I'm approachable. Exactly, exactly. Um, and I think that that approach on a personal level and trying to form that sort of initial connection or, you know, trying to relate to someone, once you've done that, that's something that can actually apply to areas of work as well. Yeah. Um, it's when you're trying to jointly develop process, it's really useful. When you're trying to collaborate on solving a problem, um, I think that sort of openness, that transparency, that honesty um, is all it, is useful in, in other areas as well. So it's beyond, you know, just forming that personal connection. I think once you have formed that personal connection, you can see the many benefits of it. So... If it's not a, a natural state for you to um, just engage on a deeply personal level with people like at work and stuff right off the bat, does that make you kind of more sensitive to other people like when they do it or don't do it with you or when it comes across in a weird way? Because that, I want to check in on this because that's something that I found I have a kind of strong sensitivity to. So like if I don't say, how are you, how's your whatever going on, are you going to be like, oh, man. Honestly, if you don't say, how are you? And you say, you know, how is this thing? How is this deadline? How is this, you know, product? Um, I think that's great 
because what I'm doing really in not wanting to, you know, spend time and focusing on small talk and, you know, things that I believe are sort of frivolous is I'm projecting my own personal biases and what I value. So I value. I value productivity and I value efficiency. So I don't have, I'm not sensitive if you don't ask me why, how I'm doing because I care much more about how the work is doing. So what if it's the opposite? What if I come in and I'm like, Micah or Mika, I'm going to mispronounce your name some more. <laughs> how is this thing going on? How's that? If I keep asking questions, does that become like a... <sighs> <laughs> um, no, not necessarily. I think... There isn't a single formula. I think that's the biggest thing. I think that is also a a really important nuance between work and humans um, is that in a lot of ways, our craft in managing work is trying to find a formula. And maybe we don't have the perfect recipe, but at least we're trying to identify the right ingredients, right? And... um, regardless of, you know, the, t- the nature of the work that you're, uh, that you're managing, you know, that's why we read books. That's why we speak to each other. That's why we seek out mentorship. Um, okay. we're just trying to sort of shape and, and ideally you sort of want to get to this formula that works, but the nuance between that and people is that there is no formula with people. So regardless of all of the tips and tricks, you might find something works with someone and really fails miserably with someone else. So I find there's a lot more um, nuance. There's a much broader range of approaches that you can take with people. And, you know, sort of how I, I, I say this to others that I work with is, you know, process and communication are the same. You don't communicate at someone, you communicate with them. Well, there are lots of people who try to communicate at people. <laughs> but, I, okay, so you don't form great team dynamics by yeah. communicating at people, right? So, yeah. you know, when you're you're asking me, does this work or does it not work? I don't have that clear answer. It depends on the relationship that we have. It depends on the work that, you know, the nature of the work that we're focused on. Um, it might work. It might not. So I want to mention something about that. I um, used to work for somebody who, I don't know what book he read, <laughs> but he had this thing that every conversation would always end with. I'm trying to like lean in and look, what can I do to help you? Oh, no. And sometimes he would ask it three or four times in a conversation. And it was the way everything, it was just so frequently repeated that it not only lost its value, it seemed really insincere and, um, I think to me, like maintaining the level of sincerity, and maybe that's part of the vulnerability too, that mm-hmm. is a big part of building the trust. Because mm-hmm. um, when as soon as I start to feel like somebody's like, oh, they read it in a book, or like, oh, they watched in a podcast, and the guy said, ask them about this, mm-hmm. then it seems fake, and I don't want any part of that anymore. Yeah, I think that it, you you can distill a lot of the basic psychological human needs to a few sort of key concepts. You, you know, you can make some assumptions, particularly in the early stages where you're trying to sort of like shape and, and, and form those bonds. Right. Um, you might be able to safely say that most people like to feel valued, right? You might safely be able to say that, 
most people like to feel like they have a sense of ownership and they have a say in, in shaping what they're working on. Yeah. Um, most people want to feel like they're trusted to do their job. Right. Right. So, and, and I mean, this is not an exhaustive list by any means, but I think those are the things that I try to keep in the back of my mind um, in, you know, the day-to-day interactions or those initial stages where you're trying to, you know, come to a mutual understanding and, and build that sort of, not necessarily your own personal sphere of influence, but the, the types of productive team dynamics, right? Um, but how that translates to those interactions and the verbiage that you use and, and how you're going to frame it that, you know, you do value someone or you trust them to do their work, that should right. be a little bit different based on who the person is and ideally a little bit unique um, because that's how it you're going to make it sincere, right? Yeah. Um, if you just repeat the same sentence over and over, um, like you said, like it comes through, it's not authentic, it's canned. So what kind of things have you studied or tools have you adopted to help you develop greater awareness of those things? Hmm. Well, okay. So one of my degrees is in psychology. Um, one of them. What are your other degrees? In? <laughs> I have a degree in communications as well. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. Um, you might have heard this from other project managers, um, a term that is often said at the, the PM summit conference is I'm an accidental PM. Yes. Everyone <laughs> um, is. Yeah. Um, you know, at, at some point in my career, I got promoted. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, from strategist to uh, project manager. I'm not sure if that was a lateral move, um, but. Uh, <laughs> you look like you could take a punch. Why don't you come over here and manage something? Pretty much. Yeah. Or, yeah, something. Yeah, that was probably yeah. it. Um, so, but I do think that both of those those subjects are actually applicable oh, to, yeah. to this work. Um Part of the reason why I love psychology is that I sort of perceive it as the micro to, and, and everything else is the macro, right? We are just a bunch of brains and okay. there are some, some sort of basic principles and, um, you know, really strong innate driving forces that shape our behavior, um, right. And I think that's where I sort of extract things like feeling valued, right? Um, I It's not rocket science. It's, you know, the Maslow pyramid. Yeah. <laughs> of like how, you know, what what drives people, what shapes their behavior, what are, you know, things that are fairly universal. And, and also recognizing that even if you think you understand, you know, that that layer of psychology as a whole, there's always the nuance. Um, right. A weird nuance that, you know, I still find baffling is the the thing about feeling valued. Some people do not like public praise and some people love it, yes. right? So I think you can say people like feeling valued. How that's communicated and in a way that is valued valuable to them can yeah. be completely different, right? Oh, yeah. And I think a huge part of understanding, you know, human psychology is also understanding yourself and going in with the assumption that you're going to project your biases. So if okay. you were 
very extroverted, you're going to come to the table with a set of assumptions that reflect that. So what you like doing and what activ- what activities are rewarding to you and how you approach human interaction is going to be totally different than someone who's introverted. Um, so yeah. how do you become more aware of what your biases actually are? Um I've I've never thought of this before because like (laughs) I know that I have certain strengths and weaknesses. I know that I have certain things I gravitate towards and certain patterns of behavior. Mm -hmm. And I know that I'm biased about many, many things. Um, And some of them are pretty over the top. So (laughs) I have very strong opinions, but there's other stuff, not so much. Um, Mm -hmm. Like we were talking the other day about hiring practices. Mm -hmm. And I know that I have strong biases and I know that they create a weight that is unfair for the candidate in the room. Um, I don't, you know, having awareness of them does not do anything other than make me second guess myself. But from, for all the people that don't, you know, they think everyone else is biased except for them. Mm -hmm. How do you find that? So it's like trying to touch your nose with your elbows. I mean, it's just not (laughs) an easy thing to do. So again, we're such complex creatures, right? There isn't this, this formula. I think a really a really good non-academic way of discovering biases is being curious. Okay. Um, And by that, I mean, be curious about other people. So one of the ways that you can, that can help in, you know, recognizing your own biases is, is just seeing someone else's perspective. So sometimes you don't even recognize that, you know, you're seeing things through your own lenses until you put on someone else's prescription glasses. So, because you just see it as the world, right? Yeah. Um, So the more you ask questions, the deeper you dig on understanding how other people perceive things. And sometimes without without judging, without without judging, yeah, just true curiosity, childlike curiosity, where you're just trying to understand and you're just trying to learn, you might discover that, you know, people's uh, perspectives are shaped by their experience. They, they're shaped by their upbringing. They're shaped by their values. Yeah. Um, so there's, you know, endless layers of biases that we all carry around that we're not cognizant of. So I think one way of just discovering what those biases are is being curious about other people. So asking okay. other people for their opinion, asking them about their perspective, asking them why, you know, maybe five times. Just to get to the bottom of things. Um, I think that's a really good stuff. Um, okay. There's, there's also bias testing that is like relatively robust and well-researched. I want, I don't know how folk, how much of a faux pas it is to start furiously Googling in the middle of this podcast recording. Um, well, I can always edit it or time lapse it or something. Okay. So, okay. So another. We're cutting back in. It's been seven hours. <laughs> um, another great way of recognizing your own biases is doing some uh, explicit, sorry, implicit association testing. So uh, there was a project that was developed by Harvard University students where they actually sort of created these tests that you can take for yourself to discover the different types of biases that you have. Um, So they're categorized. Um, There are some 
gender biases. I think there are racial biases off the top of my head. Um, so there's actually a list of them. And beyond, you know, I'm not saying net, go out and take this, but I think a really valuable- like, I'm a racist. <laughs> yeah. No, but one of the things that comes out of it is that everyone is. And people have, yeah. you know, negative biases sometimes against their own race. And there yeah. are such, there are such heavy mass, there's, there's these social constructs that are so strong that everyone has them, right? So it's, it's really interesting, you know, how this stuff is calculated. But I think what comes out of it is that everyone is biased and they put you on a scale of bias. So for certain things, you are, you know, slight, you are very biased towards okay. one thing or not. And sometimes you're closer to the middle, but very rarely are you unbiased. So you generally have negative or positive biases and you're sort of put on this sliding scale. Um, that's one way of exploring, you know, what you may or may not have. And I think that's the first step, recognizing that you have biases, understanding that you can't remove them altogether. Admitting you have a problem is the first step to recover. It's the first step, yeah. And, um, but I also sort of agree with what you were saying. Um, I've taken this too far and I have been so conscious of what I perceive to be my own biases that I've second guessed decisions um, yeah. that I had the ability to make. And I've made some bad calls because I was overcompensating. Yeah. So be conscious of your biases, but don't let them, you know, overtake. Don't wait. sense common sense or intuition or experience and yeah. all the other, you know, decision making mechanisms that you have. So let's, for people that are watching, we've been going for a little while now, they may be wondering what, why we've gone down this rabbit hole. What does this have to do with the work of managing people and managing teams and why is this so important? For, so, for people, I mean, like it totally makes sense to me. I'm sure it totally makes sense to you, but I'm sure mm -hmm. there's some folks who are like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> um, I think, I think it's really, it really just comes down to what I mentioned earlier is that, um, we're all striving for formulas and we're all striving for, you know, the elevator that's going to take us to this like perfect, you know, um, we all want the agile, exactly. The <laughs> agile. Oh, that's the agile. The right. agile will fix everything. If you get the right. agile, it'll all be good. For ourselves and for our companies. <laughs> we want the silver bullet. Everybody wants the solution. Exactly. And I think that when it comes to managing people, there isn't a, this perfect solution, right? And that that approach that continuous improvement approach and you know it's sort of the agile philosophy and the agile mindset is so important when it comes to managing people because not only is there not a single way of you know approaching communication or approaching team building or approaching trust um it's it's something that actually requires active work right okay. so um i sort of see it as the nuance between really working on maybe a project versus a product, okay. a, a relationship that you're developing with an individual and, or, you know, your input on forming solid team dynamics is something that is incremental. It's something okay. that's cyclical. It's something that you really have to continuously improve and work on for it to, 
to to stay relevant and stay solid, right? Um, versus, you know, there might be projects that you work on that you have a start and, and an end, and that's it. Um, so I'm not sure if I offered any valuable advice. No, I think you. I think you did, and I think it. it the, creating awareness for folks who are going through the thing where they feel like, and because I remember when I was going through that, like, why is everyone else able to have these conversations and I can't? Like, why do I have to force myself to do it? Um, becoming aware of the fact that I'm not the only person in the world that feels like that, and that there are things you can do, like to try to get yourself to be more at ease with it. I think that's important. I think mm -hmm. the bias conversation was really important too, because that, I mean, at least for me, that was very valuable. I've never thought of it that way before. So the hell with everybody else. I <laughs> well, I would say understanding other people and, you know, forming strong connections and, you know, harvesting um, relationships that create great products and that, you know, allow you to produce great work. Yeah. It seems to all start with self-awareness. And Ooh, look at you. Good. <laughs> and, and, and what you were saying about not liking small talk and feeling isolated in that, um, what that sounds like to me is that you're just an introvert. <laughs> well, I am, but the other thing I've, I've acknowledged is that um, for me, like if I see somebody that I want to get to know, the way that I like to do that the most is to work with them. Like I want to find some project we can do. Like like Brett and I keep trying to find something we can do together because um, <laughs> I really want that experience and that's where I learn the most about people. Um, and then after that, all the other stuff comes, but I can't but just be like, hi, will you be my friend? Like that doesn't work for me. <laughs> Um, but I mean, that's great because you actually understand something about yourself and how you like to operate. That's a yeah. first step in figuring out if there's a fit, right? <laughs> right. Admitting I have a problem. Yeah, yes. Exactly. <laughs> um, uh, but no, I think, you know, um, introversion was a really, really big, uh, personal realization for me. Um, okay. so you know, how it's sort of defined in contemporary terms is how you like to recharge your energy, right? So yeah. do you feel energized by spending time with people or do you feel absolutely drained? Um, <laughs> I feel like and, a battery that's had the life sucked out of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like quite severely introverted in that I can spend days, possibly weeks by myself without issue. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's really how I, I, I like to recharge and it's what I need to recharge. Right. Okay. Um, but because I'm not shy, I don't have a lot of the other traits that are generally associated with introversion. And it right. took me quite a long time to figure this out about myself. But once I did, um, it explained a lot as well. It explained to me sort of like it, I found commonality between other traits. And one of the things about introverts is that they don't love small talk and they right. prefer to have very in-depth, very deep connections. I can relate to that. Um, there's some other quirks. They also like to sit on the last row or on the outskirts of, la of large rooms. So we can leave. <laughs> yeah, you need an escape room. <laughs> Um, you know, and, and people that are intro or sort of extroverted like to sit at the front and in the center of rooms. Yeah. Um, wow. so I think that again, that self-awareness and sort of recognizing what 
you know, what sort of shapes your own behavior allows you to see other people as either, you know, sort of unique in their own right. But right. you can, it makes it easier to find that commonality. And I think it makes it easier to form those, those bonds. Yeah. Cool. This was great. So if, if thank you for doing it. If people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? You know, um, not to, not to have like meaningless conversations, but they want a deep <laughs> I expect only in-depth, very personal questions to come from any anyone in the audience. Um, probably LinkedIn is the best. Okay. Uh, my, I'm not. Maybe you can do a search for uh, my name, but I can only assume that I'm the only one, or definitely one of the only, with my first and last name. So okay. that's. Ika Tretier. Uh, I work for a company called Shopify that's uh, based in Canada, but we have sort of offices everywhere. Um, yeah, LinkedIn is cool. probably the best way. Cool. All right. Well, thank you very much and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Cool. Bye now. Mm -hmm.